Welcome to the Story Discovery Podcast. I'm your co-host, Jim McAteer. Coming up, you'll hear a new story from our free online publication, Etched Onyx. Please join me and co-host, Kevin McMahon, after the reading, when we talk with the author about their work and all things writing and otherwise. This podcast and all related materials are a production of Onyx Publications. All stories are copyright 2021. All rights reserved. Today's story is Just Start, written by Melissa Collings and narrated by Melissa Collings. Settle in and enjoy. Just Start by Melissa Collings. I glanced down at her name tag, a gnat. I remember repeating it over and over again in my head that first time we met. A gnat. I liked the sound of it. Warrior goddess, she whispered. It took me a second and a fraction of another to realize she was talking to me, but I had no idea why she'd just said those two words. We were sitting next to each other in a group therapy session at Coldwater Sanitarium, where sappy motivational posters and framed Thomas Kincaid prints fought to disguise what this place truly was. A psych ward. I assumed Anat was on something and had been calling me a warrior goddess, or maybe she preferred to be called one herself. Anat was a warrior goddess, but it means a singer. I'd been pronouncing it wrong. It was Anat, and of course she'd been talking about her name. The hospital was foreign to me, but it didn't seem to be for Anat. So over the next three days, I remained close to her whenever I could. My attachment was a gradual thing as much as three days as ever gradual, because that place sped up relationships. What took months on the outside took days within those walls. A knot somehow soothed my agitation, like a blanket a kid won't fall asleep without. Her personality drew me in. I wasn't the only person who thought so. A knot appeared to be friends with everyone, and it was okay that she hadn't paid me special attention. I honestly think I didn't want her to. If she looked too close, she might not like who she saw. I know I didn't. In our fourth group session, I started to say something to her, something trivial, but she put her finger to her lips and tilted her head towards a large, stubble-faced woman whose delicate voice didn't fit her handsome features. I was an ass, so I wouldn't have called her handsome at the time, but I'm ashamed to say what I would have then. Her name tag read Gail, and I'm sorry to say I wasn't really listening to Gail's suicide story. I wanted out of that place. The people around me were there because they needed to be. I didn't need to be. At least I didn't think so at the time. I just wanted out, to be done, to die, to peacefully slide out of everyone's lives. Would the burly guy in scrubs with a stack skull tattoo on his forearm have stopped me if I'd just walked out? But had I slipped through that door then, life would be so different for me now. A knot gave me a sideways glance as if she heard my inner monologue. The slight furrow of her brow coerced me into setting straighter as I directed my gaze back to Gail, back to her bandaged wrists. Gail was not like me. I think on some level she had wanted to keep living, wanted something to change just enough so she had an excuse to do so. She was not like me. I wanted it to be a knot's turn. I wanted to know more of her story. She'd shared very little so far. We were all in this group because we'd tried to prematurely end our lives, though Premature is a subjective term. When Gail stopped speaking, we were dismissed for a break, and his relief pushed me toward the room I shared with baritone Jeremy, who sat through every conversation with his arms wrapped around his legs. A knot placed her hand on my back. You were rude in there, she said. What? To Gail? You weren't listening. How do you know I wasn't listening? She was calling me out, but even so, for some reason I wanted her to keep talking. Because I know what not listening looks like. Her soft lips curled upward, and I found myself smiling back. The corners of my mouth spontaneously turned upward, a foreign sensation. Set with me, Ben, she said, her brown eyes pulling me in like the warm notes of a flavored espresso as she bounced into one of the two overused chairs in a sitting area, thrown together like this was Starbucks. This was not Starbucks. The coffee here tasted like leftover green bean water from last week's lunch menu. And no, I hadn't been there the week before. But I knew there had been green beans. There were always green beans. I hate green beans. I hated their coffee. A knot tucked her legs under her tall, too thin frame. Whenever she stood, she kept tugging at her pants to keep them in place. 
Her eyes were large, even though somewhat hidden by the thick plastic frame she wore. She reminded me of an anime character, a cartoon with features too big for her face, but it suited her. I sat, pretending we were actually at Starbucks, and she was a girl who had randomly sat down beside me, under the frame poster that read, The only way to guarantee failure is to never try. Why are you here, Ben? Okay, so no introductions, no pleasant coffee banter. I'd managed to make it three days without really telling anyone about myself. I like your socks. I don't know why I said it. Nerves, most likely. I winced inwardly because there was absolutely nothing remarkable about the plain white fabric covering her feet. She smiled again, that welcoming, disarming turn of her lips. They took my shoes. Her dark brown eyes rolled just under her long lashes. Well, they took my laces, and the shoes are pretty much worthless without them, so... She shrugged. Everything carries the potential for self-harm in a psych ward, even shoelaces. A knot lifted her feet and wiggled her toes, exposing the threadbare bottoms of her socks. I can get you a pair of these if you like them that much. She seemed so normal. Too normal for an institution. Yeah, yeah, I'd like that. But do you think you could swing gray? I'm more of a gray guy, you know? She bit her bottom lip like she was really thinking about those socks. Gray, huh? I would have guessed hot pink. My hand flew to my chest and my lips fought the smile trying to work onto them. I need to change something about myself if your first thought for me was hot pink socks. I think you could pull it off, but as amazing as my socks are and how amazing you might look in hot pink socks, you didn't answer my question. The thick ball of spit in my mouth moved down my throat. I wanted to keep talking about socks, keep pretending we were still at a coffee shop. But baritone Jeremy hovered too close, listening with his neck outstretched and he strained my fantasy. I subbed out my psych meds for a beer bottle, several bottles, on the anniversary of my mom's death, five years ago today. And two days before the anniversary, I picked a fight with my dad. I don't know why. Distraction? He loved her as much as I did, but I blamed him. And it got heated, and when I picked up a gun, my dad picked up the phone. And now I'm here. Okay, so I lied about the quietly slipping away part. Were you really going to shoot your dad? Her hand moved to my arm. Unexpected heat surged through my body, but she didn't seem to notice. Him? No. I never had the gun pointed at him, only myself. She nodded. In that case, were you really going to shoot yourself? Yes. Today, my stomach still flips at how close that bullet had come to shattering my skull. My dad wrestled the gun out of my hand. It was fate, I guess, because the timing was just so... I wanted to say perfect, but perfect would have negated the need for the gun in the first place. A knot's grip on my arm intensified until her fingers were digging into my flesh. There was something about her touch that was stronger than any words someone else might have said. The pressure grounded me, and I remained still, ensuring I didn't dislodge her hand. She leaned closer, her long, straight hair falling over her shoulder, and I took a deep breath, inhaling the perfumed fragrance of her shampoo. As if seeing me breathe reminded her to do the same, she inhaled so deeply her chest extended, and she closed her eyes. She held it for several seconds, then blew it out in a puff that made me want a cigarette. Her hand moved down my forearm until she laced her fingers through mine and squeezed. Those large brown eyes made me want a real cup of coffee as they bored into me. There's something about you, Ben. Yeah, you already said I was an ass. You are an ass, but there's something else. Her intensity intimidated me, and I looked down at my feet. Something that makes you think I'd like hot pink socks? Forget the socks. I'm serious. You were placed on this earth for a reason. Why was she telling me this? I was a nobody. I think I was placed here by mistake, I said. One of God's flubs. God doesn't make mistakes. I shrug. If she wanted to believe that, then who was I to try to change her mind? He doesn't. Everyone has a purpose. You have a purpose. You just haven't discovered it yet. Everyone has a purpose. Was she being serious, or was I listening to a woman influenced by mood-altering drugs? My eyes flicked over to Jeremy. What was his purpose? So if you believe that, then why are you here? Her breath caught, a sudden inhale like I'd punched her. There's something kind in your eyes, she went on. Strength, too. I have a knack for reading people. She tilted her head downward, looking at me over her glasses. You are strong enough to pull the trigger? 
but now be strong enough to live, overcome your demons. The demons have been in control for a long time, I said. I don't know how to take my life back from them. I waited, suspended in the confidence of her gaze. You just start. I don't even know what that means. Start what? Start working on it. Take your life back an inch at a time. Start seeing other people instead of yourself, she said. So now I'm an ass and I'm selfish? We're all selfish. It takes work to be selfless. In the periphery, Jeremy nodded. He'd slumped down to the floor and grabbed his knees, listening in on our conversation. I didn't care. That's what I was trying to do, wasn't it? People wouldn't have to worry about me if I was dead. She started to say something when a short-haired girl with purple lipstick walked up to Jeremy and started kicking him in the side. Stop staring at me, she bellowed. Her black knee-high boots didn't need laces as her right foot thumped into the soft flesh under Jeremy's ribs. I waited for him to defend himself, but he just whimpered, covering his head and taking it like he deserved the beating, like he'd taken a boot to the gut a hundred times before. A knot jumped up and rushed toward them. My arms tied across my chest, I remained in my seat. Who cared if Jeremy got beaten up by some girl? For all I know, Jeremy deserved the beating. Anyway, didn't he have arms? Legs? Couldn't he just stand up and defend himself? And then Anat's words shook my brain, like they were trying to dislodge my bad habits. She'd asked me to be selfless. I didn't believe her far-fetched notions, but I'd witnessed her kindness. A kindness already burrowing under my skin, as if to plant a seed in the barren soil of my psyche. I was surprised when I did stand up. I was even more surprised when I pulled the girl away from Jeremy, and I was utterly shocked when I watched my hand reach out for his and help him to his feet. I know it was simple. I know it's what I should have done, but it was big for me. A week earlier, I would have watched the girl kick Jeremy until he bled out on the asbestos tile. I never pretended to be a saint. I was in a psych ward for a reason, but the look in Jeremy's eye made me feel good. A small high I rode back to the chair I'd been sitting in. A knot returned as well. You just started, she said. Started what? I think I knew what she meant, but I needed to hear her say it. Several moments passed as her words and gaze sank into me, something like pride in her eyes. You started your progress. Are you actually one of the psychiatrists? Her smile dimmed. You asked me why I was here. I watched her transform into someone else entirely. Her body even seemed smaller, like corn drying in the sun. Her grip loosened on my arm, and before I was able to stop her, she pulled her hand away, drawing it close to her body as if she'd feared I'd snatch it clean off her person. I'm here because it's what I know I need. Chills played down my spine. There was still so much I didn't know about her. Did you hurt yourself? She half sighed, half snorted. I can't seem to stop hurting myself. I know that's not what you meant, but yes, I was thinking about ending my life. I took a few pills, I stopped before it was too late, and I came here. I don't want to die. I just want a different life, or at least I want to be strong enough for the one I have. Her turn and group had uncovered some of this already, but I saw no need to remind her to risk her going silent. And then Anat told me about him, a story she hadn't told the group. The man who called her stupid and ugly and good for nothing. The man who spit in her eyes one day and apologized the next, promising her the life she craved, telling her the lies that kept her tied to him, that kept hope churning in her belly like acid that slowly ate away at her resolve. He was the man she couldn't live with, but couldn't seem to live without. She had confidence for others, but none for herself, and I instantly wanted to rip the man's head off and watch it roll far, far away from a knot. She would have been disgusted if she'd been able to see my thoughts. I don't think hate was inside of her like it was me, programmed into my DNA and expressed in all the wrong circumstances. I doubt either of us would have said a tenth we did had we met on the street during that mythical coffee shop. It's difficult to explain, but our shared inner torment bonded us. Here in a safe place where people didn't judge words and thoughts, we felt free to say what we wouldn't dare on the outside. Even in the moments prior to talking to Anant, I wouldn't have thought it possible. But now, I think of the patients at Coldwater as soldiers of sorts, fighting the same internal enemy side by side and connected for life because of it. I can't do it anymore, she said. He tells me he needs me, tells me he'll lose it if I leave, and I don't want to leave him, but... 
She grabbed my arm and buried her face in my shoulder. I went stiff at first. I'd seen plenty of people cry, but this was more than crying. It was like her whole body was being turned inside out. Her words were nearly unintelligible. I can't do it anymore, Ben. She was letting go, to me. And once she got started, she let it all roll out, and I could see relief mixed in with her fear and desperation. I swallowed. I wanted to protect her, to shield her from the monster who had made her this way. I borrowed the confidence she'd had for me moments ago. Then you won't do it anymore or not. I don't know if I'm strong enough. He's always there. This is the only place I feel safe because he can't come here. He's not allowed. She pulled away from me and shook her head. I didn't lie when I checked in for suicidal thoughts. Please don't think that. I do keep thinking about it, wondering, like you, if dying is the best way to escape it all. If I keep thinking that way, one day, I'm afraid I might do it. I put my hands on her shoulders, held her at arm's length until she looked into my eyes. You are strong enough. Days ago, maybe even two hours ago, I would have shoved her off onto someone else's shoulder, anyone shuffling by in their quiet slippers. How can you say that? I panicked. Had I misremembered her words? Confused the sentiment? I didn't know what I was doing. I had no business encouraging someone else when I was so screwed up myself. But you hardly know me, she continued. How can I believe you when you hardly know me? A young woman in a Mickey Mouse bathrobe, complete with ears on the hood, walked up to us and handed a knot a box of cheap see-through tissues. The line on her lips conveyed sympathy, understanding, camaraderie. For the same reason I believed you when you told me essentially the same thing minutes ago. I actually believed you. So yeah, I believe you are strong enough. She plucked two tissues from the box and attempted to smile. We had another week together. There are times in life you meet someone and you aren't sure how you ever really existed before them. Anat was that for me. She was the person I'd always been waiting to meet, and I found her at a hospital where urine stains speckled the hallways and baritone Jeremy sang me to sleep. Anat was my best friend. When I left cold water, a piece of me stayed behind. This may sound cheesy, but it's almost like a snake shedding its skin. It helped that Anat and I had promised to stay in touch. And we had every day for weeks until we didn't. She stopped returning my calls, my many, many attempts to get back to her. I tried to think of her living the life she told me she wanted, free of fear and full of happiness. But nasty thoughts circled my mind like a vulture waiting to feast on the parts of me that were dying without her. My breath was caught in my chest until the day I heard from her again, the day I could breathe freely once more. Ben? Her voice shook on the other end of the line, much like the sick dread that made my own belly tremble. A knot? Ben, I need your help. She didn't have to say anything more. I would have gone to the ends of the earth to help her. She told me where she was, and three hours later, my gun, the one no one knew I still had, and I pulled up to the intersection where darkness was relieved only by a dim, flickering street lamp next to a stop sign. I nearly leapt out of the car before I cut the engine, cursing the seatbelt that tried to keep me in place. And then I ran. Even in the dark, I saw the dried blood caked at the corners of her mouth, the bruise blooming just under her left eye. Her hair was matted on one side where a small hank had been ripped and torn by the fists that had been wrapped up in them. The first two buttons were missing from the front of her rumpled, blood-smeared blouse. Her bare feet, now stark against the cold concrete, made me think back to when we first met, when I told her I liked her socks. I wanted to cry. She saw me looking at her feet and something like embarrassment pulled at her face. He wouldn't let me have my shoes. She swallowed, fresh tears welling up between her puffy eyelids. My eyes shifted down the line of nearby duplexes, hungry like a hunter for his prey. Which one? I asked, still scanning. She wrung her hands. I'm not going to tell you, Ben. Which one is it, damn it? Where is he? The metal of the gun tucked into my waistband burned against my skin. Ben, please. Fresh tears huddled in her eyes. He left. He drove off. He won't be back tonight. He never comes back when he... My jaw clenched as I stared at her. It was my fault anyway. He got home early. The TV was too loud and I was on the phone. And I wasn't paying attention to the show. When he hates. Her hands trembled like agitated birds at her side. 
He was already in a bad mood. Of course, I shouldn't have been on the phone that close to time for him to arrive anyway. I know that. Damn it. I was handling it all wrong. I reached over and touched her face. You did nothing wrong. My heart ached that I had to remind her of that. In a few short months, the man Anat was with had stripped away all the confidence she'd rebuilt at Coldwater. I didn't want my actions to remind Anat of his behavior, but I guessed what she feared. If she told me where he lived, I'd be back. I sat down to unlace my shoes as the moisture on the cold, wet ground soaked through my jeans. What are you doing? She asked. I'm taking off my shoes. They're too big for you, but they're something. She shook her head. I can't take your shoes, Ben. Of course you can. No, I'm not taking them from you. She crossed her arms over her chest. Fine, I said, removing my socks. I'll wear the shoes, you wear the socks. She bit her bottom lip and then winced as the scab broke open. I swallowed the bile rising from my guts. She relented, and I slipped my socks onto her cold feet before she could change her mind. She helped, pulling her pant leg back slightly as I worked the fabric over her toes. At least she wasn't actively fighting me. With my shoes back on, I scooped her up in my arms, surprised at how light she was. What are you doing? Annette yelled. I stopped and looked into her eyes. Am I hurting you? No, but... Good. Then I'm carrying you to my car. I walked the short distance to my vehicle where, by sheer will, I got the passenger door open with her still in my arms. I cranked up the heat as silence hung in the air between us, silence that wasn't particularly comfortable. One moment threaded into another as I drove her to the hospital. I knew I shouldn't ask, but I couldn't help myself. I wanted to know why she'd gone back to him, why she'd given in. Why was all that I could manage. A long pause stretched between us, and then she finally said, he talked to someone, a professional, and he promised me this time would be different. For a while it was. We were happy. A not. Her name huffed out of my mouth. How many chances was she going to give him before she paid the ultimate price? Ben, I love him. The words bounced around the car and then slapped me in the face. Of course she loved him. But it came as a shock anyway, less because of her revelation and more because of what I had just realized. She loved him. I loved her. I don't want to love him, but I can't make myself stop. Anat shook her thin, delicate hands in front of her. How do I stop Ben? How do I make myself strong enough to leave him? You start. I bit the inside of my cheek, wishing the sickness in my stomach wasn't there. Her head tilted against the headrest. I don't know how. Do you really want my help, Anat? I'm not sure who was in more pain. Surely she was, but my heart felt like it was going to explode in my chest. Her gaze jerked back in my direction. Yes, why else would I call you? Stop talking to him. The words flew out of my mouth, anxious to be made true. For a long while, she looked out her window, and I stared at the taillights of the car in front of me. The darkness hid her expression, and I wondered if she regretted calling me. I had been abrupt, and I didn't really know how to comfort someone, not like she did. Her whole body turned toward me and I had to resist the urge to turn my whole body toward her. You'll help me? Hope had no business curled in the corner of my heart, but I let it remain, taking up more space than was wise. I'll help you. Determination settled in her features, but faded almost as quickly as it had come. What if he won't let me go? I'm scared he won't let me go. Her body had gone rigid. If you're sure you're ready to leave him, and a not please leave him, then he won't have a choice. It's not fair for me to ask you for help. He could do something to you. She inhaled and then said, But I can't do it alone. I know I won't do it if I have to do it alone. You won't have to. And think of it this way. By letting me help you, you're sparing his life. Because I won't leave this. I won't leave you. Not now. We pulled into the hospital garage. Come home with me when they release you. From here on out, we'll do this together. Her hand gripped mine with a strength that didn't fit her frame, and it stayed there for the next several hours. The house was quiet, and I braced myself. The sound of music, clanging dishes, or the rustle of a project always filled the air when Anat was home. So the absence of sound when I walked in from work unsettled me. Anat? I called out, throwing my jacket on the nearest chair, the one Anat had draped with a cozy Christmas throw, a whimsical decoration I would have never bothered with before her. 
I didn't think of this as my house anymore. It was ours. We hadn't formally defined our relationship, hadn't even slept together, but for me, it was a matter of time. For me, that's where we were headed. She was a part of me already, but she was wounded, and I had to force myself not to smother her because I wanted time to prove I wasn't going to hurt her like he had. And not calm concern gave way to dread. The Christmas tree we decorated three days prior shone next to the small fireplace filled with the wood I had cut myself and she had arranged. Under the tree was one single green and red present, one Anat had already placed there for me. No answer. I pivoted in and out of rooms. There weren't many, so it didn't take long. She wasn't here. She always called or texted when she went anywhere, but not because I asked her to. We both checked in. That common courtesy you owe someone when they're expecting you to be somewhere you're not. I was pulling out my phone when I spotted the yellow legal pad on the living room coffee table. A knot's writing filled a good portion of the page. Ben, please don't worry. Her telling me not to worry had the opposite effect. I've gone to get a few things I left at his house. My body froze, and I had trouble getting my eyes to focus on the remainder of her note. We never used his name. On the rare occasions we talked about him over the past 12 weeks, the glorious weeks since she left him for good, we always referred to the excuse of a man as him or he or that monster. Well, I referred to him as that monster and typically only in my head. I finished reading the note. I didn't tell you because I knew what you'd say. Leave it all. But some things are too important, especially a necklace for my sister. Because of you, I am stronger. I can face him without fear now and I'll be back by dinner. Steaks are waiting for the grill and potatoes are ready for the oven. There's also a tall salad in the fridge that will only need dressing. We'll eat over candlelight and celebrate. I might even make it back before you get this. Either way, I'll see you soon. XOXO, Anat. I looked at the clock, 5.15 p.m., nearly two hours of waiting. We ate between 6.45 and 7 every night. Anat was a creature of habit. While I had never been, I liked the structure she brought to my life. I hadn't been a neat person either, hadn't cared enough, but busying myself with dinner and house chores kept me from losing my mind as I desperately tried to believe the words written on that piece of paper. All my texts went unanswered, and I knew they were becoming progressively desperate because I was desperate. At 7.30, when the steaks were long cold, the salad wilted, and the butter congealing around the potatoes, nausea pooled in my gut. How long was I going to sit there and wait? Why hadn't I gone after her immediately? Anat was as strong as anyone I knew, but no matter how strong anyone is, they wouldn't openly walk into a bear's den. I left her a note and fighting the feeling of deja vu got in my car. I didn't know which duplex was his, but I'd knock on every door in the neighborhood if I had to. I had to. At 10.30 p.m., when it was long past appropriate to knock on doors, I had two houses left. The light was still on at the second-to-last house on the street, so I was hopeful. My nearly frozen knuckles banged against the wood. A short woman, with a messy nest of curls on top of her head, pulled the door slightly open, peering through the gap at me. I must have appeared non-threatening because she opened it further and placed her body in the small crack. I'm sorry to bother you this late, I said, but... No problem. What can I do for you? Fatigue set in bags under her eyes, making her almost ageless. I'd believe she was twenty just as easily as I'd believe she was forty. I'm looking for someone. I pulled out my phone and showed her the picture of a knot taken just days ago. A very flattering pose of her standing beside the window, drinking coffee, and looking out as the sun streamed in. Do you know this woman? Is she here? That's a knot, she said, her face jerking back to my face as if seeing me for the first time. She crossed her arms. What do you want with her? I swallowed. I didn't know how much to say. How was this tired woman connected to a knot? Her stance, coupled with her narrowed glare, gave me the impression she was looking out for a knot. I liked her for it, so I took a chance and showed her a knot's note. You're the guy, she said, handing it back to me as new appreciation took residence on her face. The guy? She shook her head. Before today, I hadn't seen a knot for months. She was my only friend around here. Well, not really a friend. Xander wouldn't let us be real friends. But she let me borrow shampoo when I ran out, and we talked from time to time. She's a really nice person. Xander didn't deserve her. So she didn't come back home? The woman looked pensive as she bit her lower lip. No, she didn't. You saw her today? When? I asked, my pulse ratcheted upward. This afternoon. Just like your note said, she told me the same thing, that she was picking up some things. Told me she'd met someone. A great guy. You. 
I was relieved to hear it, to see her, because I'd convinced myself Xander had killed her or something. An awkward chuckle fell out of her mouth. <laughs> but I'm glad she found you. I massaged my face. Where does Xander live? The woman paled, seeming to realize for the first time what this meant. She didn't come back! She grabbed my arm. You have to find her. Xander's a bastard. He's got some kind of hold on her. They're not even married, but a not put up with his shit because that's the kind of manipulative dick Xander is. She just couldn't see it. I was near jumping up and down on the front porch. Where? Where are they? Her arm pointed, and in the seconds I was banging on the front door of the monster's duplex, the last house on the street. I called out for a knot. What the fuck? The voice startled me, and I turned to see a middle-aged man standing in his underwear outside the adjoining duplex. Sorry, I'm trying to. Don't care what you're trying to do, he growled, but you best stop that racket. Ain't it obvious they ain't home? He didn't give me a chance to say anything as he turned to go back inside, slamming the door so the whole front porch vibrated. I moved quietly to the side of the house, peering into every window I could, checking and rechecking until I couldn't stand it anymore. I went back to the porch and picked up a flimsy metal chair, ready to knock out the front window when I heard someone scream, STOP! It was the girl from next door. She'd thrown on shoes and a bathrobe and was jogging my way. Go stand in my doorway, she instructed. Listen for crying. Yell if you hear it. Give me three minutes. She held up a small flathead screwdriver. When I stood there confused, she pointed back to her door. Go! Three minutes! It had taken two. The door to Xander's place swung open. You picked the lock? I asked, already moving past the woman toward the open door. You never know what life will shoot you. Easy. The locks are shit, just like the neighborhood. Be careful. Xander's nuts. I didn't hesitate, running as if the consequences didn't matter. They didn't, as long as a knot was missing. The rooms were dark, smelled of piss and weak old McDonald's wrappers. I gagged as I moved through the silence, but no one was home. More importantly, a knot wasn't here. Back outside, I pulled out my phone, but the girl was still there, keeping an eye out. I'd never asked her name. What are you doing? She asked. Calling the police. They weren't there. Her hand closed over my phone, and for a minute I thought she was going to take it, but she said, You've never had to deal with something like this before, have you? Let go of my phone. Irritation flashed onto her face. Before you call the police, lock the door and wipe down the knob. Don't tell them you went in, and don't tell them I told you anything. I don't want to talk to the police. She glanced back at her door. Will if I have to, but try, okay? Keep me out of it. I thanked her. She ran back toward her house, calling back over her shoulder. Name's Daphne. Let me know when you find her. And find her. I followed her instructions, wiping the knob with my shirt, and then called the police. It took them 20 minutes to arrive, and when they did, they were completely unconcerned. They'd seen situations like this thousands of times before, and they'd advised me to go home, lick my wounds at having been dumped. I nearly got myself arrested trying to convince them they were wrong, that Anat was in danger, that her injuries would be on their heads. Daphne's corroboration, desperation forced me to involve her, did nothing. Anat hadn't left me. Her mistake was trusting Xander enough to come back at all. That bastard had her, and if the police weren't going to listen, I would find someone who would. I needed to talk to Anat's sister. The next four months were the hardest I'd ever had to endure. Worse than the day I decided I needed to die. I no longer wished to check out of life like it was just a grimy hotel. Anat had changed that. I guess it's not wise to hinge your foundation on another person, but Anat gave me life, truly and wholly, and I didn't want to live without her. I wore anger and irritability like they were the latest fashion trend. I drove by the crumbling duplexes nearly every day, sometimes camping out all night hoping to catch a glimpse of her. I tortured myself, cycling through self-loathing and potential horrific outcomes, all my fault somehow. And then one day, I got a call. The call I'd been waiting for. My heart flipped at the sound of her voice. A beautiful song in my ear that nearly lifted me off the floor. Relief rearranged my worry into hope. She was back. She had come back to me. At least she was close. We would be together again. She would be free. I'd make sure she was. I screamed her name as I gripped my phone. Anat! Bennett's Chelsea. Anat's sister. We found her. Anat's hair shined as it fanned out around her head. Her makeup kissed the soft features of her face. I wanted to kiss her, to place my lips on hers, but I couldn't move. 
The sight of her after all those months shook me, kept me glued in place, unable to move, barely able to breathe. I didn't know what to say, but I had to say something. She deserved to know everything. I love you, Anat. I think I loved you from the moment I first saw you, if that's possible. I swiped at the tear rolling down my cheek. I needed to be strong, but I also needed her to know all of this. You changed my life, made me feel more alive, more like myself than I ever have. Do you remember what you told me when we first met? You told me I had a purpose and I needed to discover it. I think I found that purpose, Anat, and I have you to thank. The words were easier. The soft smile on her face encouraged me to keep talking, to tell her everything. I'm volunteering at a juvenile detention center, and I think I'm actually making a difference. I reached out and touched her face. And then I closed my eyes because there was a hand on my shoulder, a voice in my ear. Others are waiting, Ben. And that sister said as she gently pulled my arm toward her. I don't know when I had grabbed Anat's hand, but I was reluctant to let it go. I just wanted to hear her voice. I wanted to hear her tell me she loved me too. One more minute, maybe five, that's all I needed. An arm curled around my shoulder. I'm so sorry. A pat on my arm. I'm so sorry. I turned to see the line that had formed behind me, and my legs rebelled, refusing to hold my weight. I slumped against a knot sister. Someone, a stranger in a suit, came up on my other side, lifting me before I crumpled to the floor. The scent of roses spiraled around the room, so strong it made me lightheaded as I passed the next person waiting to pay their respects to a knot. My a knot. My a knot. It's December. And I've just left my neighbor's house, an ancient woman with a face like rumpled tissue paper who asked me to fix her faucet. It had only taken an aerator in five minutes, but she praised me like I was her long-lost son. Then she cajoled me into staying until she finished a batch of oatmeal raisin cookies, the sweet fragrance so delicious it made me moan out loud. She, like me, was alone this holiday. The time spent in her kitchen was the best time I'd had since a knot, and I had a knot to thank for that. Without her, I would have told my neighbor to call someone else and shut the door in her face. My father hasn't quite warmed to my transformation, and that's probably because it isn't complete. It's hard for people to change, but it's not impossible. And I'm not perfect, but I want to make a not proud. And I hope somehow she'll see how important she actually was. The artificial tree in my living room still stands exactly as it did when Anat and I put it up last year. I stare at the single present that has remained in the same spot, the spot she picked. It's taken me this long to even consider opening it. She isn't physically walking this earth, but she sings in my heart. Because she was like a song to me, lifting me and filling my soul from the moment I met her. And there's a part of her that continues to live on inside me. And in that way, she's still helping those I encounter. The woman next door, the kids I mentor. Now, instead of wishing I was with her, mostly, I take her around with me, living the life I know she'd want me to live. My knees hit the floor beside the tree and I cradle the small red package with the oversized glittering green bow. The tape clings to the paper, even though I try to spare the wrapping. A knot would have wanted me to rip into it. I pretend she's looking over my shoulder, biting her lip as she watches me lift the lid on the white box. What did you get me for Christmas, A knot? I fold back the green tissue speckled with little gold trees, and I stare at the most perfect Christmas present I have ever, or will ever, receive. A pair of hot pink socks. All right, you just listened to Just Start by Melissa Collins, and Melissa's joining us here. Melissa, hey, how's it going? Hi, it's going very well. How are you guys? Doing great. Jim's here too. Jim, doing all right? I'm doing terrific. Glad to have Melissa on the show. Cool. I'm glad to be here. Well, um, everyone just heard that fantastic, rather tragic story. And we know from conversations with you when you submitted it that it's based on real events. Um, If you're comfortable talking about it, was there something specific in those actual events that inspired you to write it? And then the follow-up question is uh, because it's based on real events, did that change the way you approached writing this story? It did. Yes, it is true that this is from real events. Um, um, I actually have, 
I started a blog what that was turning fiction or fact rather people's lives this portion of their lives into a piece of fiction so they would submit a story to me and I would write that up and my own interpretation well this particular story came from two people that I actually knew and had talked to and I watched their relationship and I knew I wanted to write about them but I knew the moment that the the man who inspired Ben told me that after the the woman who inspired Anat actually passed away that that is true mm-hmm. he told me that he named his guitar after her and the way that he told me it was so poetic and I thought I want to write this story and I want to write their story. They were interesting people, and the way they connected was was kind of unusual and odd. And I, it was, it just sparked that where I just wanted to write it. Now the the character who inspired Ben is not quite like Ben. He was just this really dynamic, kind, kind man, and he he was so unusual in the way he fell for the character of Anat, and their relationship was so different that I couldn't keep him as he was in the story. I had to change him. I mean, it's fiction anyway, but right, sure. he was, he never really had some of the issues that Ben did. He had different issues, but I, I put a little bit of that on him because nobody wants to read a story where the character is just fabulous and they are the hero <laughs> all the time. So I did change him up a little bit, but that's where it came from. And that's how I changed it. Oh, interesting. That's great. So you do this a lot. You meet somebody or you have an experience and it sparks a story. Yes, I do. Now, on my last submission where somebody actually gave me this inspiring story, I did this to challenge myself, to kind of take me out of my comfort zone and write something that I don't typically write. So when somebody submitted a story recently, it's been a while, but I started writing a short story and the characters just kept talking to me and it turned into a novel and it's my most recent novel. So I haven't written as many short stories lately because this turned into this most recent one turned into a novel, but I do love writing. I love, I love how the human mind and learning about different people and their relationships and how they view the world. And so I thought this was the perfect thing. It's also almost like a, a bit of a memento for the person. If they submit a story, they get excited about me turning it into a what I what I call a work of art. So it's my own interpretation, and they get to have it. Mm-hmm. So that my novel is actually somebody's token. So they're going to be able to say this was inspired by my story. I don't know the person. Mm-hmm. I got a second hand, but I have through this through this up third second person who's closer to me. She gets to have that piece. So she hasn't read the the novel yet, but it's. It's really fun. So it like connects me to people a little bit more and they get to share in my story, which is also really fun. That's great. Well, what's the story they're working on about? This is, it's a, a love story. And I, I guess it's categorized as a romance. I'm not positive, which I don't really write romance. I like to read thrillers and I like to write thrillers. <laughs> but the way it was presented to me, I thought this is going to be a great challenge. Well, I really enjoyed writing it, obviously, because the short story turned into a novel. But mm-hmm. it was so fun staying with the characters. And now they're kind of like friends, which is so funny. They are. Wait, in the novel or in real life? In the novel. In the novel. <laughs> my characters have become friends. I Sometimes I wonder, and I shouldn't even say this because it, it shows you how strange I am, but I think, what are they doing? Yeah, I wonder what, what Penn and Grant are doing. <laughs> yeah, that's great. You're just like tapping into their real lives or their like that's right. fictional real lives. Yeah, that's one of the fun parts about creating characters. Okay, so you... Yeah, definitely. I'm catching up on this. So, so you like solicit like story ideas. Like somebody's like, I know this person or this thing happened to me and I want you to turn it into a story. Is that right? Exactly. Okay, cool. Yeah. And that's through your blog? That is through my blog, yes. Mm. So they give you, do you ever interview them or um, follow up? How does that work? Usually it's just given the idea. I'm given the idea and then I run with it and kind of touch, hmm. I could touch base and tell them when, if it's something is finished, which again, I haven't done this a ton, but the, hmm. so the concept is there. But when this most recent one turned into a much, much longer piece of fiction, of course, it's, 
I can't touch base with them as much as I'd like. So I haven't done as many as I want to, but yes, I'll, I'll check back in and let them know how it's going. And the person who submitted to me has read it, but the person it's inspired by has not. So I'm still in the Uh, editing process. mm -hmm. So that's exciting. But he did tell her that she was going to get to read the novel and she's very excited, which makes me excited. That's cool. Well, so talking about writing, what's your normal approach? Would you call yourself a pantser? Or are you an outliner? I have always considered myself a pantser. I fly by the seat of my pants in life. I fly by the seat of my (laughs) pants in writing. But I think when you are a pantser, you have to be willing to go through many, many, many revisions. I think if you're a plotter, that you, you have your book or your piece more mapped out. So things don't just fly in that you didn't really expect to fly in. You, you know it's coming. And I think it, you don't have to do as much revision with it. Now, in, on a thriller that I wrote recently, I've written three novels. So kind of two and three have melded together. I'm kind of working on editing both of them at the same time, mm. which is I don't recommend, by the way. <laughs> yeah. But I actually plotted that one out a little bit more. So I'm, I'm just now starting to get feedback. So I'm very curious. So that'll be feedback compared to pantsing it feedback compared to a little bit more of a plotting it but interesting in the novel form versus the short story do you have a preference and if you don't that's fine but uh and then what are the challenges you find with writing both of those different types of story i love writing in general so it's really i i like both i like spending a long time with the characters and really developing the relationship that they have with each other and exploring that so i do like a full-length novel but there's some really good satisfaction that comes with writing a short story because you you kind of in, you're out, you experience the emotions more quickly. And I think that's really fun. I think though in the, the challenge for me, the biggest challenge in writing anything, whether it's a short story or whether it's a novel, is time. I, I find myself really getting into a piece and something will break me away from writing. So, you know, you, you have to make dinner or, you know, I I get up at five o'clock in the morning and, and if I'm in the zone and then I realize, oh, I have to start my day. I've been writing for an hour or however long and I'm interrupted. That's probably the hardest part for me when I'm really, Mm -hmm. when I'm really going and then I have to put on the brakes because you want to stay in it. That's hard. And that's the, the most challenging thing for me in writing anything. But I don't think I have really a preference over a short story versus a, a novel, except for spending a longer time with the novel. So does that mean that you, so do you get up at five and you get up purposefully at five to write? Yes. I, en- wow, I think there's something secretive about five o'clock in the morning. I feel yeah. like it's before anybody starts their day or not a lot of people start their day. And I yeah, feel I like I'm stealing five. time. You get up at five. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that great? It's perfect. I know what you're talking about. You're like, the world is yours. You're all alone. Yes. I love it. You get to watch the sun wake up and it's that little peak. And so, yes, I use that time and that's, that's my me time. And I love to write during that time. That's great. Well, I think some writers would probably like to hear that. It might be give them ideas on uh, how to steal time as it were. Yes. <laughs> okay. So speaking about writing, are there any particular aspects of writing a story that you find challenging or easier than others, like character setting, other parts of it that you really like to write descriptions on? You know, are there anything that you like to key in on or anything that you find particularly challenging, those kind of things? I think it's, I think I probably have a hard time with voice. I think I'm pretty good with describing an area and kind of getting you immersed, but getting into the character. I realized recently, well, I guess I've realized this about myself a couple of in a couple of different ways. The, the very first novel that I wrote and I submitted to agents, I got feedback that said that the agent really didn't like the voice of my character, my main character. And I and it took me a while to really realize what voice was. And it's basically, I, I think, and this is very, what you know, I'm not educated in exactly what voice is. And I think it's different for different people. But mm-hmm. voice is who that person is and why you want to follow them and what makes them interesting and what makes them tick. And I think I let the story sometimes happen to my characters rather than this, the characters taking charge. 
And I think that's the most challenging part for writing a story for me is really getting in there, getting to know your character and letting them control the story rather than the story controlling them. Yeah, well, that's a that's a great point. Although it doesn't feel that way at all in Just Start. Well, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully I've gotten into those characters a bit more. Yeah, that's great. I've got a question about the times we're living in. So it sounds like you've got a routine and you've written three novels. You've written a lot. Got your process down. Um, has the pandemic changed anything about what you're drawn to or how you write? For me, it really hasn't. Mm-hmm. I, I'm i a homebody in, in general. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I'm... <laughs> Yeah, I like to be home and the pandemic, I know I'm not like a lot of of other people, hasn't really changed a whole lot. I mean, you know, you're not going out and doing as much, but I don't think I really write any more now than I did previously. It just hasn't really changed my writing. Uh, I don't, I know a lot of people are tending to want to listen to or read happier items and I, that hasn't really happened to me. I love to read happy. I love to read sad. I, I love a varying array of emotions. And I think it's the same for me now as it was. But I think I am unusual in that way is that it hasn't changed a whole lot. I mean, it has. It has changed a whole lot. But in the grand scheme of, of how I look at the world and things like that, mm-hmm. it hasn't. Cool. Yeah, good point. Well, speaking of things you like to read and write. What are you reading right now? I am reading a book called Little Secrets. I'm reading two things. So I'm on a, a healthy lifestyle kick. Not really a kick. I'm, I'm really trying to live a healthy, <laughs> clean lifestyle. And so I'm reading this book called The Fat Burn Fix. So, okay, truth be told, I'm kind of reading it for my CMEs, my continuing medical education credits to, to maintain my physician assistant license, but I am also um, reading it for just, you know, I'm interested in health and diet lately. So the fat burn fix, I've been interested in this keto diet. And then I am also reading a thriller, uh, sort of psychological suspense called Little Lies. Hmm, Cool. Is that, if you had to pick a genre, is that the genre you would decide to read most often yes i love thrillers and because like i said before getting into somebody's mind and why they you know what makes people tick and why they do what they do and why they make the decisions they make i just find that fascinating and i think that's what what draws me to read and write anyway but in a thriller you get that even more you know you get it even more because then you have also this hidden agenda and you have to try to figure out what motivates this person to do what they're doing and it's just intense. It's drawn in. So, yeah, I love reading thrillers. I love to write thrillers. And so we're, we'll see. that my After the love story, well, I wrote a thriller, wrote the love story. I went back to the thriller and rewrote the thriller to be a true puzzle, which was a whole, well, a whole lot of fun. So that I am seeing if I'm any good at that. So that's why I've, sure. I've, got, my, I've got that out and... Um, Cool. And seeing how people react to it. Oh, okay. You mean you have some like beta readers basically yes. taking a look at it? Yes. Oh, that's great. Well, good. So there are a lot of characters dying in your books. Always. You can't have a good thriller without <laughs> some grisly business. Do you ever regret it, <laughs> killing off a character? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> that was a little too easy. <laughs> <laughs> I, oh, I take boy. that back. I think that just in, as with this story, with Just Start, it's emotional when somebody dies in a piece, whether it's you know a grisly murder that you're investigating or if it's the product of life. And this, this was a product of life in Just Start. And while it's sad to me, it's, it's truth. And I, that's another thing I'm really passionate about is truth. And I think what people can relate to and I think this is the kind of thing that people can relate to. So in that way, I don't have a hard time with it because I like that experience mm-hmm. uh, because it is life. And I think uh, death used to scare me a lot more than it does now. So I don't mi- re- hmm. mind that. But also there's the thriller side of it where it's just you have to find out 
why, who, how, and when. Mm-hmm. Well, it's funny. I heard an interview of George R. R. Martin. He's the uh, Game of Thrones author, and and um, he basically said, "Yeah, you have to kill off people because otherwise, like the Lord of the Rings, most of the main folks survive." And he just felt that was not realistic, although enjoyable. Yeah, I remember when reading his uh, the first fifty pages or so of his book, I kind of put it down because it was a little bit slow for me. And then within a hundred pages, I was really liking one of his main characters. He just kills off, and I thought. I mean, it just broke the rules because he was like the main character yeah. up to that point. And um, I personally, I find that challenging to kill off people. But it's because you've invested so much time in them, you know them. You know, they're like friends. That's right. And so that part of it is a little bit challenging. But you're right. It's not real if you don't. Yes. I think it's fun to tug on emotional strings, people's emotional strings. I think that's what brings people to the t- You got to bring the, the person, anybody reading a novel wants to go on that roller coaster ride of emotion, I think. Mm-hmm. And it, either the threat of harm or someone actually dying, you, you get those emotional experiences and it brings you in and, and it makes it stick. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, you're exactly right. Life doesn't always have a happy ending, even though sometimes we want it to. And sometimes we enjoy reading the happy endings, but sometimes it's relatable when it doesn't. Right. Totally. Yeah, that's a good point. Okay, well, so what draws you to writing? I'm an artistic person. So I am a physician assistant. I've been in medicine as my career. But before that, and when I discovered that painting and drawings, probably not, I didn't know where where that would put me as a career path, I went into medicine. But my first love has always been art and, and usually drawing and painting. And so I discovered how much I loved writing when I was a receptionist right before college. I had this story idea and I had the time. So I just said, I'm going to start writing. And I started writing a book. Once I started school, I went through college, PA school, that book kind of sat there. And after about five years ago, when I had my first baby and had, I was home, I decided to stay home. I pulled that up and started writing. And that's really when I realized, wow, I love this. I just loved doing it. It's an art form. uh, And I do love exploring people, as I said, just different, different ways that people interact. And I just found myself really enjoying it. So it was it was what I what I call my blog is the word portrait. And I feel like that's kind of what it is. It's it's an art. And it's like a piece of it's like a painting that I draw, you know, the painting behind Mm me. It is Oh, it is a work of art and you can tweak it and you can twist it and you use your words and as your paintbrush. And, and so that's what, that's one of the things that draws me to it is I'm an artistic person anyway, but just having that out there. I think the, for me, I, I, when I write or when I paint, I kind of turn my brain off, if that makes sense. And I let my fingers work. And that's when I do a painting and I, I did a portrait recently, a charcoal drawing and I was, of course, listening to a book on tape. That's how I usually read audio mm-hmm. audiobooks. But I let my fingers go. And because if you can overthink, even with writing, you can overthink. And so it's, sure. it's fun to just kind of let the creative process go. And I think that's just one thing I like about it. It's a, it's a fulfilling experience to my brain. Yes, definitely. I agree 100%. Yeah, that's great. That feeling when you get in that zone. It's the best feeling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, okay, so you do you work in a like a clinic or a hospital? I did. Okay. I before when I had children, I decided to stay home, and that's how I've had the time to write. But previously, I worked in um, in spine surgery, mm. so I I did that for five years as a, a surgical PA. And love doing that, but I didn't have time to write during that time. You know, I was working 50, 60 hour weeks yeah. and way too tired. If I got home, it was just like, I need to veg, on, veg out and watch the television. I'm certainly not going to be writing great masterpieces. <laughs> I hear you. Yeah, definitely. I just think like hospitals are a great place for stories. I, I don't like yes. visiting hospitals, but whenever I'm there, I don't know. My mind just gets working. Oh, Yes. That is it. That gets me on to what I want to write. I have a lot of ideas, and one of them is a medical comedy. 
I love making people laugh. And mm-hmm. the things I have seen in the medical world are just wild. Mm-hmm. The people you meet, you know, the doctors, the nurses, everybody in the medical field, you know, they kind of have their own thing. But then you have all these patients coming through all walks of life. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. they, they accept advice differently and they're, they're living all kinds of different lives. And you see that, that that's fodder for writing for sure. Well, and I think the hospitals and sort of physician settings in general, as a patient and, and when you are the person seeing these people, they're at their most vulnerable in a lot of ways. So you yes. really see who they are. You do. You know? Yes. Some of that stripped down. You know, we all like to be polished. And when right. you're when you're down... You, you can't always be polished. Right, right. Well, um, one thing I wanted to sort of speak to is, is writers groups. Do you find them helpful? And what's been your experience in, um, or have you, you know, in doing those? Oh, I love writers groups. I actually discovered at the, be- I guess it was the beginning, about a year ago, I decided that all of my work had been funneled through my friends and family. You know, Mm -hmm. and I wasn't really sure if how good of a writer I was or, you know, if if this was something I could do. And I realized that friends and family, they don't really want to hurt your feelings. (laughs) And so you can't really get honest feedback. It's like, oh, I love it. Well, it could be garbage and they would still love it because you wrote it. So how do you know if, if you're any good? So I decided to branch out. And look for a writer's group. And I found one. And right before the pandemic, we met at a Panera. And we everybody read their piece aloud. I think you got five pages. And it was awesome. They gave true feedback. You know, they said good things. They said bad things. And they gave you, they gave you something to go on, something to think about. And it was such a good experience for me that I continued to go. And then now you know, have an online writing group. I actually have two online writing groups, um, a smaller one and then a larger one. And I absolutely love them both. I have learned so much through the writing group. Having people support you and understand what it's like as a writer, um, share your passions. I actually did a blog post on this recently because it affected me so much. Having someone in your corner who knows what you're going through and who can give you honest feedback. You know, they don't hold back. They don't tell you you're good if you're not. And that has been a huge help for me. And also critiquing when you get a piece of work and you have to look at it analytically or you, you know, you're, you're looking at how this piece fits together and, and what to tell somebody else about their writing. It makes you grow as a writer. Mm-hmm. So it's been an, an invaluable experience. And I think anybody who's writing alone, it, it can be a really lonely business. So having a writer's group opens up to where it's not as lonely of an experience. I, I just think it's right. awesome. I highly recommend it. Uh, we agree. And I think that the short stories are a good way to, because a lot of folks, if you start, if you embark on a novel and you haven't written any short stories, you know, you're going to spend a lot of time and energy on that before getting feedback like if you take something somewhere and then you've spent a lot of time on it and that you might need to make quite a few revisions whereas if you're doing a short short story you know you kind of get to learn on the baby step stuff first you're exactly right i think you can go through a full story getting you know the emotional arc of the character the setting all of that out there and you you Every, the more you're critiqued, the more you critique, the more you write, the more you read, you grow. And if you start with a huge novel, which I guess I'm, I hear what I say and not what I do, because <laughs> I did start sure. with a novel. But I have found that short stories really do help you. So you can, you can exactly what you said, take that short piece, learn a whole lot from it, keep doing that until you're ready for the full thing. And then your novel will be uh, much more solid. I, th- I think. Well, and short stories are harder in a way because you have less time to get into the characters' heads and to convey that emotion or to pull people in. So in some ways, it's a little more challenging, but it hones your skill. It does. It does. Great. All right. Well, we are coming up on time. And if our listeners are heard any like flapping wings in the background, it's because Melissa's bird got free during the show and is flying around. <laughs> that is very true. What kind of bird is it? This is a parakeet. Oh, okay. And she's by herself. And I was trying to get her to be quiet. 
and <laughs> opened the cage to put something in so that she would be fascinated by it. And she got out first time forever in forever that she's gotten out and she's flapping around and I am trying to concentrate while on these questions while she is flying around my head. True story. <laughs> I cannot believe that just happened. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's good stuff. That's funny. Was there anything you'd like to, um, you know, tell listeners and or potential writers or folks out there that are, you know, listening to the podcast and wondering if they, you know, enjoying the short stories and thinking they might have some of their own to tell? Well, I would say, first of all, thank you so much for, for listening, for reading the story. Um, it's, it's a piece of me, and I hope that everybody enjoyed it. Um, and then secondly, if you're thinking about writing, you have something on your heart, uh, I'm going to be a little bit cheesy here, and I'm going to say, just start. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Well, all right. I think that's a pretty good way to close it out. Thank you guys, too. You, you guys have been awesome. Great. Well, thanks for being on the show and thanks for submitting your work. We're excited to get it out to the world and glad people had a chance to listen today. Thank you so, so thank much. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. If so, please help us spread the word by telling your friends, giving us a rating on your favorite podcast app, or better yet, shout it from the rooftops through your social media outlet of choice. The Story Discovery Podcast is a free, narrated podcast of the works that appear in Etched Onyx Magazine, edited by J.W. McAteer and Kevin McMahon. All stories are available for free at onyxpublications.com. That's O-N-Y-X publications.com. If you'd like to support the continuation of this podcast and or the magazine, please consider a small donation through Patreon at patreon.com slash Onyx Publications. As a nano publishing house, we are always looking for new stories to showcase. If you'd like to submit a story for consideration, visit the submissions page on our website. Until next time, keep reading and writing. <laughs>